We're back, Empires of the Future, and talking today about morality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I so this is an interesting chapter because I could imagine that at some points in history, people would go like, "I don't know how exciting that is," but man, I think we're living in a world right now that is uh, becoming more and more awake. Uh, regularly to the need for clarity about moral things uh, that that right now it's almost like everybody seems to think that their knee-jerk reaction to an issue is the knee-jerk reaction and this first chapter especially is how to put that puzzle together yeah you know what I mean yeah yeah for sure yeah I don't I think there's a uh, a whole lot of interesting conversations around morality that could be had it particularly in our day and age because I think we live in a day and age where like um, well, obviously, morality is becoming something, and we've talked about kind of objective morality versus relative, you know, morality being relative and these kinds of things, um, or subjective. And we kind of live in a society that allows it to to uh, function in that way more than I think previous societies. Even things like, you know, when you're when you're driving your car, um, a, you could get caught going over the speed limit, but mm. largely it's kind of you, you don't. I mean, if we're, if we're all being honest, we know that we drive the speed limit a lot more than we get caught driving mm-hmm. over the speed. We drive over the speed limit a lot more than we get caught. And uh, and so questions of morality even come into play there of like, well, is that immoral? You're you're driving around doing an immoral thing all the time every day. Right. I, I did an immoral thing on my way over here, Jackson. Uh, <laughs> like, right? Uh, if, if we if we recognize that breaking the law is, is immoral and these kinds of yeah. things. So even that alone that you can see from the conversation of driving the speed limit that conversations about morality are uh, abound they abound and uh can be really interesting also really challenging really off-putting <laughs> i think well and we don't know what to do with situations that come up i mean right now we are living and hearing uh, a story about uh, a man named Tyree Nichols, who was pulled over on a reckless driving charge by five police officers who then uh, mistreated him horribly, uh, beat him, and uh, after a few days, he died. Mm-hmm. And it is a strange moment to a degree in America because generally it's agreed upon, one, that this was wrong by everyone, um, that it is heinous and horrible that these sorts of things would happen. Um, but we seem confused by how these sorts of things happen right. and right. why things like this and along these lines keep happening. And even um, questions that I think are really good questions. Okay, it's, it's, it's one thing, as it has been throughout human history, that you might be able to convince yourself you can do something and you won't get caught. We are living in this weird time when these men had body cameras on. Mm-hmm. There was yeah. no i. There's no reasonable idea for them to think that they wouldn't get caught. Right. That this wouldn't be seen. That they wouldn't answer for this. But they did it nonetheless. Um. And and this makes issues like we're dealing with so important because uh, the insights in these chapters I think are really helpful in parts of morality that we spend a lot of time talking about and parts of morality that we don't spend near enough time talking about, that, that there are legitimate blind spots that we have uh, and we can't afford to have them. Yeah, We really can't. It's, it is harmful to us. It's harmful uh, to, to people who have already died or have already been hurt. It's harmful to society itself. It, it is, it is damaging uh relationships it is damaging the fabric of our society living together by having these blind spots yeah and you know you know we want to certainly want to be clear and, and there may be more details that come out about sure. the uh the um nichols case uh but one one the kind of things that we think about and and see with this is that everyone almost everyone's almost unanimously understood that what happened to this young man was terribly wrong uh that it was it was immoral it was wicked right it was terrible terrible but largely by and large we can say well it was terrible because a person shouldn't do that to another person right but that's kind of the end of where the conversation that's kind of the end of the conversation right uh whereas what 
C.S. Lewis gets into, I think, in a very helpful way, is to say there's a lot, mo- lot more to morality than just what one person does to another person. Right. Uh, but too often that's where sort of in society we stop. That's all we're concerned with. It's mm-hmm. all morality is related mm-hmm. to, um, you know, kind of a, a sort of libertarian kind of understanding of morality that so long as you are treating other people the way you are, ought, the while, as long as they're not being harmed by your actions, then, you know, it's okay. It's not immoral, whatever. Whereas the Bible, and as C.S. Lewis gets to, gets to, to a much greater extent, the heart behind morality yeah. and, and immorality, uh, the heart behind what's happening, um, that it goes a lot deeper than just how we treat one another. You can be immoral and be an immoral person doing all kinds of immoral things and yet be a great neighbor, be a great uh, podcast co-host, right? Um, you know, whatever. You can do all kinds of things and, and be a very immoral person, but treat everyone around you in a way that is good and great. And that doesn't somehow exempt you or or make you a moral person uh, whenever there could be all kinds of other things going on in your heart, um, in your home, these kinds of things that are grossly immoral. Yeah, uh, They count as well, and they have an impact, whether you think they will or not, on um, the world around you, even if you don't realize it. Right. And so um, because we believe in the rule of law, uh, these men will have their day in court. Uh, and evidence will be presented, and and our legal system will carry itself out. But a higher and more important issue is what is happening with morality. What is what is morality really about? And so this uh, we're we're in part four, by the way, of mm-hmm. of American Christianity. We're walking through this book, and we're going to look today at uh, book three of American Christianity, chapters one, two, and three. Chapter one being the three parts of morality. Chapter two, the cardinal virtues, and chapter three is called social morality. Yeah. And these all tie together, give us different views on uh, this issue. Um, but the first uh, part of, of this chapter, which I, I thought was helpful, is you do hear this spoken about uh, sometimes in terms of moral ideals. And he says, I don't think that's a very good way to talk about it. Uh, it's only helpful in some ways uh, to talk about moral ideals. Uh, he says, we strive for perfection. You know, I just watched football playoff games yesterday, and every one of those guys, mm-hmm. they are striving to be perfect, meaning complete, right. as a lineman or as a quarterback or as a receiver, meaning without any question, their goal as a receiver is to be as good as they can yeah. at being in the right place, running their route, receiving the ball. Yeah. Their goal's alignment is to be as big as they can and strong yeah. to keep the opposite lineman back and hold their own line yeah. while sometimes maybe breaking through the other line. And so he says, we we talk sometimes strangely about uh, somehow, somehow people have high moral ideals like, oh, look at them, they're striving. And he says, that that's kind of strange to me to start out with it, uh, that if you think it's normal that in, in this world there are some people who are trying <laughs> and there's some people who are not, that ought to tell you that something's wrong yeah. from the start of it. And then it's not terribly helpful uh, to commend the people who actually are trying. Right. <laughs> we should expect that people should be trying mm-hmm. and seeking. Um, it is an aspect of the brokenness that they aren't. Uh, in, in fact, I think what a helpful way he ends this, he says, we, we act like moral ideals are a matter of taste. <laughs> yeah. No, that we ought to expect that we should be after something better. And then we would realize we're not getting there. Right. Right. And he, he equates it to like, uh, like in math, um, your, your, per, your purpose in math, your goal is perfection. Um, and we all know that we're going to make mistakes. Right. We make mistakes in, in math in every area of life. No one is perfect. But if you take the approach, for example, in math, well, because you know the ideal is perfection, I can never reach that. Therefore, I'm not going to worry about it. Who cares if I make mistakes here or there? <laughs> now it's, you should get out of math class. <laughs> yeah, you should switch over to art. See, math is not for you. Um, and but and I was kind of just joking around. Like even in art, I think yeah, to you're, an extent, you're striving for beauty. You're striving yeah, for yeah, yeah. Perfection might be might be defined differently, but at the same time, you have an ideal even in your mind of what you're shooting for on right. the canvas or in the in the um, stone or whatever it is you're working with. You have an ideal that you're shooting for, and you want to shoot for that ideal, right. knowing you you might not reach that ideal. Um, but that is the goal, and it's only those who aim for these ideals 
that have any success at all in these areas. Yeah. Same, same is true with morality. When we, when we think about morality, it is good to have ideals, um, e- even if we call those kind of perfection in these areas. Should we not, knowing we will never attain it, should we not be striving for moral perfection? I would say yes. You know, I if someone were to ask me, like, how many, how many times do you want to uh, get too angry at your wife and, and yell at your wife this year? My, I'm not going to say, well, you know, I, I think my goal is ten times uh, this year. Right. No, I'm going to say zero. I'm hoping to do those, do that zero times. Right. Um, now, by God's grace, maybe I will not yell at my wife at all in this next year. Um, but you know what? There's a good chance I'm going to fail at that. Well, I, but I still strive for that, right? Right. Because more accurately, what we're saying is you're, you're striving to love your wife. Correct. We don't, you can't actually strive for a negative. Right. Uh, it, it's, it, and we can get twisted up in our minds by living that way. You can actually kind of yeah. cause some weird cramp in your mind. You have to strive for a positive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, similar to an issue. You know, how, how much do you want to fly off the handle to your kids? Well, I, I hope not at all. It is challenging, yeah. you know, but uh, I want to love my kids, not yeah. be, you know, rude and mean and overbearing. That's all true. If you look at it that way, it comes becomes like free passes to yell at your kids. Well, I got 10 of these. I got to use them up. Yeah, no kidding. You know, it's December now. End of the year is coming. So right. <laughs> I yell at my kids. <laughs> saved them up. To, yeah, I've saved them all up for December. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so this this first point is, I think, a clarifying point that's important. And And what he says is it's better to speak of rules and obedience than ideas and idealism. Mm-hmm. And I agree. And and so we will continue to speak that way, but it is a strange sort of uh, infection that exists that, ah, yes, we should praise uh, moral idealists who actually want to go somewhere. Like, no, I mean, there are expectations. Yeah. Uh, and we know, knowing the Bible, that we don't meet the expectations, but right. there's hope beyond that. So it's right. not just about expectations that crush you, um, but it's also not... Uh, it's not praiseworthy yeah. to to want to do well. Right. Uh, that's that's what we sh- we're made to want. Yeah. And so that's a good starting point. Yeah. You know, this reminds me of something I, I just heard recently. I thought was such a good point. I was uh, listening to a lecture um, by a guy named John DeVito. Do you know John DeVito? I've heard of him. Yeah. So, uh, well, I won't get into how I know him, but he, John DeVito he was uh, giving a lecture to our, our church just recently on the law and the gospel, and man, he made a great point. He it was a really really good lecture they gave. I wish we had it recorded. Um, but he, he was talking about the distinction between the law and the gospel mm-hmm. and kind of the way that works. And, and as you said, we know we fall short. We know we, we break God's law and we fail. And uh, one of the, the things that the law does, and initially the first thing it ever does for us, is it exposes our guilt. It exposes mm-hmm. that we are messed up, that we have failed, that we have broken the law. Um, and that realization, especially when compared to a holy God realizing perfect righteousness, perfect obedience is required if we are to earn our way, uh, if we are to have a standing before God, right? Um, and so what the law then does is it drives us to the gospel. Right. When we realize our guilt, when we realize that we can't live up to the righteous standard of the law, and the gospel then is presented to say, here is the answer you can't, but Christ did. He right. did on your behalf, and now you are declared righteous by uh, by imputation, right? So Christ gives his righteousness to us while taking our guilt, our sin on the cross. And and he makes us righteous. It's as though we lived up the law, right? But he, the point he made was uh, the law initially drives us to the gospel. And the gospel changes us, gives us a new heart, gives us new life. And then it drives us back to the law. Because then what the law becomes for us is not nothing. We don't. The law doesn't serve no purpose for Christians. Mm-hmm. But rather, it shows us then how we can live and love God well, what it looks like to follow him, what it looks like to worship him, what it looks like to um, to be obedient to him, to bring mm-hmm. him glory. It looks like obeying the law, right? right? So it's kind of a neat little idea that the law uh, first drives us to the gospel, and then the gospel in return drives us to the law, but it certainly drives a new us to the law, a, law, right. a us that is capable of obeying and keeping the law and benefiting from that. Uh, not for salvation, uh, but for um, sanctification and for right. glorifying God. It's kind of a neat analogy. I thought it was really cool the way the law drives us to the gospel and then the gospel drives us to the law. Right. You know, and you can think about how um, how much the law will make sense. You know, thou shalt not kill. 
when you're angry, that doesn't make sense. But when you know Sometimes, the gospel, yeah. which is uh, which is a way for your heart to be softened, a way for you to calm down from your self-justification, like I, I, I don't have to prove I'm right all the time. And then with a new heart, you look back and you go, oh, I want to love people, not hurt them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that all of a sudden, the gospel gives you a new insight on the law, which yeah. is needed. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And so when we think about uh, morality and, and living moral lives, for us as Christians, we think of it in a different way than what, uh, what non-Christians are. Now, he's talking, I think, in regards to society. And, and so I think if I'm understanding C.S. Lewis correctly, um, he's making an argument for, for like that this is good for society as a whole. There are societal norms of morality. He's been speaking mm. for a while about morality. He hasn't quite yet, I don't think, gotten into um, kind of uh, from a Christian perspective necessarily. But I am going ahead and jump with the gun a little bit and saying from a Christian perspective, we understand the, the importance of, of obedience to the law and living moral lives. So, But yeah. we can see so in society too, and kind of the point he's making. So I love this chapter for the analogies, and this this first big analogy I think is so helpful. He talks about, uh, imagine a, a fleet of ships mm-hmm. all sailing in the same direction. Uh, if one of the ships bumps into the other continually, eventually there will be so much damage that, that one or both of them will sink. Mm-hmm. And he says, and this is typically what our concern is in this world. We go, oh, well, this ship here, this person crashed into this other person. They robbed them. They stole from them. They hurt them. Okay, how do we stop this sort of thing from happening? And he says, well, unfortunately, you haven't gone far enough uh, because that is one part of morality, thinking about ships crashing into each other. He says, but the next part of morality is really important, which is the inner working of the ship. Mm-hmm. If a ship is left in continual disarray, uh, I don't know how much time you spent on uh, rivers or oceans or anything, but I used to spend a lot of time on the Ohio River, and you'd see a lot of different boats. The Ohio River has very expensive boats and very, very cheap boats. <laughs> and uh, and you'd see some rough-looking boats sometimes, and boats that had not been well taken care of. Uh, and so... Those kinds of boats are not reliable necessarily. If there's a hole in it, uh, I've seen broken fiberglass before, and you wonder, oh like, how's that going to work out? Um, you see boats that are left with so much gunk on them, you know, if that's going to get eaten through. Um, but that's what he says about the second part of morality is the inner workings of the person. Yeah. And if you let the inner workings fall into disarray, sooner or later, it will not matter how much you supposedly want the boat to function correctly, you won't work right anymore. Yeah. And then you will begin to crash into others or hurt yourself or anything along these lines. So the first two parts of morality, we haven't, we typically spend a whole lot of time talking about the first part of morality, which is the interactions between people. We get, start getting uncomfortable at the second part of morality, which is when we begin to look inside of ourselves or begin to ask questions about the inner workings of other people. And the third part, uh, we rarely, if ever, arrive at. So what do you think about that first uh, first new part? So the, you agree that the first part we, is generally when we have discussions right. about morality, it is about interactions between people. Yeah, e- even from like a societal level, like, you know, how things ought to happen societally and, mm-hmm. and this and that. Yeah, that tends to be the first point. And then, uh, the, the second point that you that he makes in the book as you're bringing up is um, what's going on inside the individual that that also matters for morality not only for, for morality but even for society um, and he he's he says something in the book that I thought was a good quote and helpful he says uh, he says I don't mean for a moment that we ought, that we ought not to think and think hard about improvements in our social and economic system what I do mean is that is that all that thinking will be mere moonshine unless we realize that nothing but the courage and unselfishness of individuals is ever going to make any system work properly. Uh, and I thought that was a, a really, really um, good point. I mean, go, he goes on to say, uh, it's easy enough to remove the particular kinds of craft or bullying that go on under the present system, but as long as men are twisters or bullies, they will find some new way of carrying out the old game under the new system. Mm-hmm. And I love this point he makes that 
He's saying it, it doesn't do us any good. We can talk all day long about changing economic systems, changing mm-hmm. social structures. But until we recognize that that none of that change is going to be realized or able to be accomplished until we have the courage, the unselfishness um, as individuals to make it work. The system is never going to work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some you might say the um, uh, system is only as good as its weakest part, right? Uh, something like that. To an extent, though, I think we can see that even individuals, if they're not, uh, even if not everyone is up to that task, uh, there have to be a certain number of individuals to make great things happen. And I think mm-hmm. um, this is why people look fondly uh, back at the founding fathers. Um, is that what you see in a lot of the founding fathers was you had a collection of men who, who not only had a great vision, who not only had a great idea of what uh, a good society could look like and be, they did, they had that, uh, but even beyond that, and, and equally as importantly, they had the fortitude, they had the, um, uh, the will, the strength, both inwardly and outwardly, to make that happen. It wouldn't have happened if they didn't have the resolve that they had, right? Mm. Um, they could have had all the greatest ideas in the world, but if they didn't have the backbone to make it happen, it wouldn't have happened. Right. Um, this is a, uh, I think it reminds me of a something that I've heard Jordan Peterson say, but I think other people have made the point too. I think it was, um, it was said in like a pretty famous commencement speech one time by a retired military general. Uh, but he, he kind of makes the point that people want to talk all day long about um, what, society needs to do to make the world a better place how can the world be a better place making all these improvements on the world and jordan peterson's answer is you need to start by like making your bed yeah you know starting with fixing your world before you begin trying to take on the whole world right you know you you struggle to make your bed you struggle to uh hold down a job you struggle to do all these things right you need to establish the what's necessary for you to do these things before you ever have any sort of claim or, or chance to make these kinds of changes in society. It's sort of a useless game, but people like to do that. People like to talk about great big societal changes, how we can, uh, what the world ought to be doing, all this kind of stuff, because it's easier than actually changing our own hearts. Right, and I, I really think that a lot of what we're dealing with right now is the same old games that people have played for hundreds and thousands of years, which is, Hey, I don't really want to talk about my problems, but then I've got some ideas about yeah. you. You could be better. Yeah. You know, and yeah. how much easier it is to yeah. tell someone else things that they can fix yeah. rather than looking inside of ourselves. Yeah. That, that, that is a game that every person has been tempted to and is one that we are probably tempted almost daily to yeah. go, boy, I don't like, I don't want to talk about anything going on in here but I got some opinions for you about things you could be doing better. And that's not the way Yeah, (laughs) it's not going to get you anywhere. And I think it becomes even easier to take it to the next level out and like get on Facebook and tell tell the world what the world's problems are and how the world could be fixed or even our country or whatever, Mm -hmm. because even that is further removed where you don't have that one individual person looking back at you going, are you really telling me how to live my life? You know, you've got uh, really, you know, no one giving you any sort of, Negative feedback as well. So it gets even worse. And when I say worse, I mean even more um, easy to do and separated from the hardest part, which is actually changing yourself. Yeah. You know, this makes me think of um, something in the Old Testament. Makes you think of Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror. (laughs) Starting with the man. It didn't make me think about that at all. Uh, It totally totally does me. But but we're off and tracking. Um, So. The Old Testament, you've read about how uh, in in certain Old Testament times, so say somebody was accused of wrongdoing, you gather the elders mm-hmm. of the town at the town square. If there's two or three witnesses, mm-hmm. this person is convicted. The elders of the town, if it's a murder, grab rocks and stone mm-hmm. that person in the presence mm-hmm. of everyone. And this seems... Here's... I mean, it seems otherworldly. It sounds like, what in the world is that like? What's so strange about it as I think about it in regard, you know, we mentioned earlier the Tyree Nichols uh, incident, and we are so specialized. We now live in this time where it's like, okay, we want, our, we want people to find uh, abilities that they have, get specializations, get work that they, that they uh, have spent time in college or some other way of getting training for, uh, and then they go into that job and basically we typically think like well they'll just be in that one position and in specializing people i think some of the things that we are seeing is 
look, you can't put somebody in a situation where they are seeing evil done every day. Mm-hmm. And when you don't live with wisdom, like an Alexander Solzhenitsyn who says the battle between good and evil goes down right through the heart of every man mm-hmm. and woman. We, you naturally, in our own self-justifying heart, you will find, if you see people doing evil every day without any kind of way of processing it, you will convince yourself, well, that's a different kind of person than me. Mm-hmm. And you will then find ways to dehumanize that person and allow you yourself to treat that person in a horrible way. Yeah. Uh, part of what is wrong with what we're doing is specializing so many of these things that we then forget what that does to a human being. Uh, and believe me, I wish I knew the answers for how we solve this, but a part of it is stopping assuming that people can just do certain things day after day after day and that it won't have adverse effects yeah. on them. Yeah. Um, I, I, we are putting people in, in situations that are beyond their capability to handle and and yes well, there are questions right now that we're all hearing about oversight how do we that that's reasonable but a lot of this is human stuff yeah. that if we don't know what good is and what evil is our natural inclination is to go ah good is what i am yeah and evil is the things that i see and i also hate um it's not it's not gonna do it's not good enough and we have the resources within christianity to say god is good Everybody else is a different category. God is the creator. We are all creatures. And wow, are we complex, very powerful, very twisted creatures. Yeah. And capable uh, of acts of wonderful grace and goodness, acts of horrible evil. Yeah. Every one of us. Mm -hmm. And we have to come to grips with that. And and so far, I don't don't see it happening. And, And I think that in a lot of ways we put our hope in things like technology and you know, technology is doing certain things for us. I mean, think we're talking about body cameras. Yeah. yeah. What that's enabling us to know is this is how deep evil can become. Okay. Then what? It's not helping us beyond that. It's not helping us beyond sort of posing the questions to us yeah. in a much more straightforward uh, way. Yeah. And we're going to need resources beyond what technology is giving us. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So, so seeing these kind of three aspects of morality, both what, what is happening sort of interpersonally or even societally, like between people, harming other people, not harming other people, what he calls fair play and harmony between individuals. Um, and then the second one that we talked about tidying up or or harmony within the individual. Yep. Um, and then he gets to the third like aspect of morality that needs to be considered as well. And that is the purpose of human life in general. Uh, what were we made for? Yep. Um, what is the the tune that we're playing together? Mm-hmm. He, he uses the illustration of an orchestra mm-hmm. uh, that all these things come into play. Not just does the individual person know how to play uh, this instrument? That's right. part of it. Not just are they playing in tandem with this other person correctly? Right. You know, right. playing the same music, kind of sort of. Uh, but also, what is the music we're playing? Right. That matters as well um, because y- you have to have a correct understanding of that and and also a unified understanding of that. If, uh, if morality is going to be understood correctly as well. So uh, to go back to the analogy of the ships, um, if they are all, you know, not running into each other, kind of working in, in harmony to a large extent, uh, all of the inner workings of the ship are appropriate and, you know, the engines are running smoothly, the, uh, the men aboard are, are doing the jobs they need to do correctly. Uh, but if the, if the fleet is supposed to be traveling to China and ends up in Antarctica, well, then it was a bust. It was still messed up, right? right. Uh, and so that is the third, I would say, man, as fundamental as anything, aspect of morality that he kind of presents that we have to come to that point as well. We can't stop at those first two levels. Right. We have to come to the third one also. That is, what are we here for? What is the, uh, the, the purpose of life, right. right? That's a big question. Right. And, and the Christian answer is not one of these hidden, you know, super right. far in the scriptures. We are to love God and love one another. That's right. Uh, the second one is like it. Jesus says you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. And, yeah. and love meaning sacrifice. Love meaning self-giving. Not, not that we're required to conjure some feeling, but that uh, ask yourself, what would you do if you loved your neighbor and then do it? 
love is action in, in the scriptures. And so the, the Christian answer to that is, is present. Um, and, and I think this is, is helpful from the standpoint of a part of our problem is we spend a lot of time in confusion about things that happen because we don't get beyond the surface. Uh, we, we refuse to ask these hard questions. We go, well, why don't people just get along? Why don't people just help each other? Mm-hmm. Well, because uh, we're broken on the inside in addition to having broken relationships. Yeah. And well, why is that? Well, because we are trying to make up different meanings. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, we're, we, we may, uh, we, we love to think of like, well, maybe we're just confused. Yeah, what if we have heard, hey, you were made to, to give of yourself for others and you go, well, I don't know if I want to do that. What if I could just take of others for me? Yes, that's something we've all done, and, and the Bible is really clear. Well, that's death. It might feel like life to you, but that's death. To use other people is death. Yeah. It might get you somewhere today. Uh, it, in the long term, it'll leave you empty and lonely and angry and frustrated. Yeah. Um, but that's what, that's what in our sins we are, we are often short-term gain, just trying to do stuff like that. Yeah, you're already getting to something he's going to get at later in the book, and that is um, how pride is one of the— Yes. It's really the chief thing that—, that comes in and sort of spoils all the meat, right? Yep. Spoils all of this. Uh, it, well, I mean, it's it's sin in general, right? We're, we're broken people, but yeah. so often we see what is ultimately at the root of all of this kind of sin is pride. And mm-hmm. uh, that's the, the argument can be made that Adam and Eve, that was really the, the at the root of their sin, right, was pride, their desire right. to be like God. Right. right. Um, and so, yeah, you're already kind of jumping ahead to that, uh, that that is the case. Pride comes in and Man, all of these understandings of morality, what it means to be good and right, um, pride messes all that up, confuses all of that, uh, makes all of that really, really, really difficult. Yeah. The reason it's really difficult to focus on others more than yourself, to be selfless, uh, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you, yeah. the reason that's really hard is because of our pride. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, the the second chapter in this section is, is a different angle, uh, sort of an individual angle on what we've been uh, talking about. So what are, what are the virtues? What are the, uh, this, this word uh, virtues uh, comes from virtus, and originally uh, manliness is what that word, what's a real man? Uh, what, is, what is a human being meant to be made of? But in particular in the Roman world, it, they were concerned with men. Mm-hmm. What, what does it, ma- how do you make a man? Yeah. And um, so these go back a long way. These are, uh, in part, uh, you can find some of these in Aristotle. Uh, the line to C.S. Lewis comes kind of through uh, Aquinas and other thinkers, but I, I have found these four cardinal virtues to be so helpful as just, these are, these are ideas. Uh, it's almost like these are uh, kind of spiritual uh fluids that run through our body or to whatever degree don't depending on how much spiritual death has got into us but Mm -hmm. before uh we go too far there let me ask you uh had you ever heard of cardinal virtues before before reading uh c.s lewis before reading christianity i mean i think i've heard you talk about them that's jackson kind of language (laughs) cardinal virtue (laughs) i'm like i don't know i guess cardinals are pretty cool birds but i never thought of them do you remember why uh (laughs) i I had never heard that term either before reading this book do you know what the term cardinal comes from yeah i don't remember exactly he got into the etymology of it a little bit but essentially it has to do with like the hinge on which a door door, yeah uh yeah moves so it's kind of the uh the hinge on uh, of I don't know, you might say morality or mm-hmm. goodness and, and uprightness and things like that. And didn't he actually say there were seven, what he calls seven cardinal virtues, three so of them explicitly Christian and four of them. So there of, are universal. four cardinal virtues and then three theological Theolo- virtues. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, no, I, I, I had never really, I mean a little bit, I think I've heard the term cardinal virtue, you know, or, or I, you know what, I'll be honest with you. I think of what I've heard is cardinal sin. Um, and from like a Roman Catholic context yeah. and different readings or things that I've, I've heard about the Roman Catholic church, but yeah, it's not a commonly used word today. We, we might say hinge virtues, but Cardinal sounds better. Right. And, and the nice thing about the term is these are virtues that I, I would think everyone would agree upon. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, that no matter what religion, uh, that these four first virtues are generally agreed that these are very useful things. Yeah. Uh, and they are prudence, temperance, justice, and fortitude. Yeah. Yeah. They also sound like really good, uh, names if you're a Puritan. 
I think they would be <laughs> very good true. names. That's yeah. true. I, I've met. I I know some justices. I think so. Uh, I I don't think I do. I do know some justices, but uh, yeah, they're they're uh, um, good names, good words. Uh, what though? I think here's the the real question. We got to get into what these things mean. What does prudence mean? It's not a word we use very often nowadays. Right. It's not. And I can tell. I don't. Uh, the one person that I can think of who used this word in my lifetime, and this might be uh, out of your league as far as age goes, have you met any memory of George H.W. Bush on the campaign trail? Oh, pff, no. I mean, yeah. yeah I, what? Did, didn't he run like 88? Yeah. He was born in 92. Well, I mean, yeah. you could have watched older videos. I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 know <laughs> so, who, I know who George H.W. Bush is, but I don't remember him ever talking about prudence. Okay, so, and this was one of the sort of catchphrases, is wouldn't be prudent. And then wouldn't it got picked prudent. up by Saturday Night Live. It was something that Dana Carvey said a lot in his impersonations of George H.W. Bush. It wouldn't be prudent. And it's not a word that has been used in, in any sort of popular sense, I would say, since then. Um, so prudence means practical common sense, taking mm -hmm. the time to think about what you're doing and where the end of it is. Where, mm -hmm. The things that I am about, where is that going? Mm -hmm. That's what prudence is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I wonder, you know, are there other words for long-term thinking that we're just not using this word or are we just letting go of the thing? What do you think? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you think it exclusively applies to long-term thinking? Because when I think, and this is, this is what C.S. Lewis says, he says, equates it to common sense, practical common sense, um, which I think involves, I guess, thinking about the end of the things you're doing. But, yeah. um, you know, a lot of times common sense is very immediate. And for those people who we would say have good common sense, it doesn't really require sometimes much thinking from them. Like, when someone says, hey, hold on to this uh, firecracker while I light it. Well, common sense says, nope, yeah. right? It's not like you go, well, let me think about that for a moment. Uh, well, if I, uh, if I trust him, I could lose my hand. But uh, um, no, I don't think I will. On the right. other hand, there might be a on really great time that hand, I'm missing out on here. I, yeah, this could be a blast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that's a good way of thinking about it is common sense, um, which is different from other sorts of kind of, uh, you might say, intelligence or things like that. We've all met people that are not very prudent, but are geniuses, Sure, right? They're really, really smart. They can do all, you know, you name it, math equations, or they know how to do electrical work, or they, um, I don't know, great artists, all these kind of things. Maybe you have a great, great intelligence, but have no common sense. And on the flip side, we've met people who are, uh, frankly, not very smart with regards to intelligence or IQ or these kinds yeah. of things but have good common sense. And yeah. uh, what, what I find to be encouraging um, is that common sense tends uh, to be a far more important feature for um, being able to sustain yourself in life than intelligence, than, you know, these kinds of other virtues. Or not, not virtues, but these kinds of other things that maybe are swapped out for common sense or prudence. Yeah, yeah I... I one thing that I, I would like to say about it is I think that it's strange. We live in this time where um, there is a lot of book learning necessary. And so a lot of, again, a lot of specialization, but that puts you in a box and um, common sense being the ability on a day-to-day -day basis to, to achieve your goals, uh, whether they be getting a job or whether they be getting a wife, whether they be, uh, making a new friend or whether they'd be fixing your car. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one thing that in, in reading, uh, I'm having a lot of quotes come to my mind about common sense. Uh, I think it's a Thomas Jefferson. Common sense is uh, one of the least evenly distributed virtues that you'll find. The thing about common sense is that it's not very well defined. It's, it's hard uh, yeah. to get your head around positively. We often define it by saying, well, it's different from book smarts. It's like, okay, but yes, but what is it? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's it's practical thinking. It's the ability to accomplish whatever goal you've set your mind to. And, and when you put it that way, I think we realize that, look, common sense is very challenging because yeah. there's a lot of different things going on and nobody knows about everything. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is a hard one, but, yeah. but prudence is practical common sense. The ability to yeah. put your nose to a grindstone and figure out some way to get your goal done. Yeah. And it also, it's, it's not something that, he makes the point that like, being a Christian involves thinking. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not, I, you know, when I talk about intelligence and, and common sense, like I'm not making an equation between 
uh, things that require brain power and things right. that don't. No, to be prudent, uh, you know, especially as a Christian, requires your intellect. It requires your uh, your thinking. It requires your your energy to to, yeah. to do. Um, if you come to Christianity, and he C.S. Lewis makes this point, if you come to come to Christianity. Uh, thinking that it, you won't have to think, right. uh, that it won't require very much mental power by by you, you're wrong, and, and you're going to be mistaken, or you're ultimately never going to truly come to Christianity, right? Yeah. Uh, you're going to come to uh, maybe within the realm of Christian-y Christ- things, right? But you're never actually going to come to Christ because to do so requires your intellect. We don't check our brains at the door, right? We uh, we we use them, and uh, what he, the point he makes is that we're called to be as as wise as, or excuse me, as shrewd as serpents, but as uh, as harmless as doves. Uh, so we're we're called to use our intellect to be smart. He says that we're called to have the. I think the phrase he uses: we're called to have the um, uh, brain of an adult, but the heart of a child. Yes, we're not called. Though we're called to a childlike faith. Right. Um, come to to the Lord as as children come. Uh, in that sense, that doesn't mean that we are to come and and not have to think right right he, he says we are to come with a a heart of a child but the mind of an adult mm-hmm. which i think is a helpful way of stating it yeah that's prudence that's prudence uh, now temperance um temperance i find to be in a whole other category um because it's one that i think in general we know it's there um but the, it's like we've just put it on the back burner and we go maybe one day I'll gain temperance. Uh, so well, what, what is temperance? Well, it means don't drink alcohol. Don't you remember the temperance, <laughs> the temperance movement? movement. There yeah, you know. yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, C.S. Lewis makes the point that like that word has been used in that way. Yeah, but that's not its original purpose. Right. Temperance isn't. Uh, temperance is the idea of an appropriate amount or usage of of all things. Right. Mm-hmm. Having the the understanding of of how to use the things that we have in the appropriate amount, appropriate. Uh, time and place as well. Yeah. Uh, so, so f- for example, temperance could apply to, um, uh, well, I think it could apply to something like sex. Uh, that's a good thing that God created, and it has right. its time, and it has its place, has its context, and, and all these kinds of things, uh, but it's to be used within that. Temperance is what guides us to right. an appropriate understanding and use of, of something like that. Um, or you could apply it to alcohol. It's been applied to alcohol appropriately. It's just not limited to alcohol, but um, uh, some would say temperance. Well, some would disagree with this, but some would say temperance with regards to alcohol means uh, you en- engage in the appropriate uh, partaking or enjoyment of the right thing of this thing at the right time in the right way. Uh, so drunkenness is clearly a violation of temperance. You have yeah. displayed a lack of temperance by being drunk. Um, and this goes for everything. Right. Temperance is all over the place. Yeah, you yeah, could, yeah. Uh, probably could an area on. where it's really important that we don't think about it at all is in terms of a sense of humor. Like how, oh, how yeah. much is it okay to make jokes about oh, somebody? How, uh, have you ever taken a joke too far? Mm-hmm. Um, well, and even questions that really are just prayer questions like how much do I need to laugh? Uh, you know, yeah. how, how do I, should I just be constantly making jokes of everything? Well, yeah. no. Okay, well, what is the right length? To take yeah. that, yeah. On that note, just recently, I listened to, on the advice of uh, of my buddy Jacob, uh, listened to a uh, conversation on a podcast called Pastors Talk. Are you familiar with the yeah. with the podcast? It's got it's Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman, and um, they were talking about humor. So mm-hmm. it's largely like related to pastoral ministry and how these things apply. They were talking about humor, and and uh, if you have ever listened to Mark Dever much um, or seen him at conferences and things like that, the dude is just naturally funny. Everything about him. I, I, I had a really funny interaction with him in the bathroom at T4G, as <laughs> I've told you about. It's a really yes. funny moment. Um, but uh, with that being said, like hearing them talk about humor and um, and it, it, if he's honest, you know, and he was pretty honest, like there's been many times in his life when he has lacked temperance with regards to humor. Um, man, I can relate to that where there have been times and many times where I've gone for the joke. Right when it just absolutely was not appropriate, and there was a demonstration of a lack of temperance. He used one example I'll, I'll give that I thought was pretty unfortunate, but kind of funny looking back on. Where he had a member of his congregation that was coming out after service and just had this very sullen look on his face and or on her face as a woman, and, um, looked very sad. And and Mark Dever, being the guy that he is, looks at her and knowing her, and he's her, he's her pastor, makes a statement. Man, why do you look so sad? You look like your grandmother just died. And guess what? Her grandmother had just died, uh, and he felt 
so, so foolish and immature and, and dumb and all these kinds of things. And definitely that was an instance where a lack of temperance cost him. Um, but yeah, so that I think actually humor was a good one to, to illustrate and, yeah. and point out there is a time and place for it, but it is to be reserved for those times and those places. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, temperance makes me think about, um, a sword, you know, that uh, blacksmiths heating this metal and then shaping it. Mm. How, how hot do you get it? How, how much pounding does it take? Mm. How many strikes of the hammer does it take to make this sword into what it ought to be? And while we probably don't think of ourselves that way or our own hearts, God does intend to, to strengthen our hearts, to, to make us into what we ought to be. And, if that's not a goal of ours, then, then it should be because, um, really intemperance is no fun at all (laughs) to, to lack any sort of sense about how serious to be in a given moment versus how light and funny to be, because it's not about just one end. The answer is not just to always be a hundred percent serious about everything at all times. No, it's about recognizing what is appropriate. What is, what is good in, in, in every situation. Right. We do want that. I think we just don't realize that we want right. Right. Uh, it. It's, it, and it is helpful to hear it sort of lined out this way to go, okay, I, I think that in a lot of ways our world uh, lets us know that we need prudence. Nobody likes to walk around going, yeah, I've failed at all my goals today. <laughs> um, but what's strange about temperance is, uh, is I think we, we can be confused and not realize that, no, you do want this. Like this is, uh, this is important. Yeah. And uh, you're not enjoying failures in this regard either. Most of the time, the only thing I think that drives us to temperance, at least in thinking about um, what situations I, I see and hear and talk to people about is sort of like health problems <laughs> will yeah. drive us to go, okay, maybe too much sugar, maybe yeah. too <laughs> yeah. much fats or, you know, fast food, maybe yeah. too. And then you have to go, oh, okay, I guess I need to change my ways. But this is beyond just a physical reality. It is a physical reality, but it's also a spiritual reality. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then the, the next one he comes to is justice. Uh, how would you define, how, of all of them, I think this is probably the easiest to define, but how would you define justice? So justice is beyond fairness. Uh, we, we all hear discussions about fairness, and we want uh, fair to a degree, but we want more than fair. Uh, justice is about doing good. It is, is about mm-hmm. the truth being upheld so that beyond fairness— there is a righteous action is what happens that uh, that crimes are answered for. Mm-hmm. But the thing about fairness that is, I think, so confusing to people is if everything was a simple math problem, if all people were rather than being human beings, if they were integers, then you could div- divide the world and just go, everybody gets a cubicle. Everybody get out your pieces of paper, write down your four things for today, turn in your paper. Everybody will get paid your one dollar for the day. But people aren't like that. People are gloriously different. And so as a result, people have different jobs. People have different responsibilities. In fact, what we see in the scriptures, if people were genuinely made to be different, that will mean that some people are made with the ability to oversee other people. Mm -hmm. And that for some people, you are made to labor and to produce work with your hands, but that you will need someone overseeing you. And it gets really challenging when you go, oh, well, all those people be paid the same well not necessarily Mm -hmm. and so we get into deep and and complicated matters but it's not as simple as saying well i want fairness we do want fairness but we want more than fairness Mm -hmm. uh and and so justice is justice is an interesting i think issue because this is one that we really want but we often uh the the issues that we see make us discouraged about justice um, because in our world you know look if somebody is killed we're gonna have to wait for justice from the next world Mm -hmm. we don't have the ability to bring that person back from the dead uh and and that's hard because we that's it's unjust and your heart cries out against that injustice um but we we have ways that we can make things right in our world and we have ways that we have to make for god wait for god to make things right in the next i think that's a good point you know someone who who loses a, a loved one to murder might feel that a sense of justice was accomplished when the murderer is is punished, is executed or, or put away, whatever, whatever the case may be, um, but still feel, uh, and, and maybe to an extent, rightly so, that this isn't fair, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so, so fairness might not be accomplished, but justice is. Would you also say, I don't, I'm just kind of thinking, 
Um, would you also say that like justice maybe also involves or indicates a, a power or an ability to bring about what is right or, or make right what is wrong or to the extent that we can? Yeah. Um, there has to be some sort of authority or ability there to bring about justice, um, you know, because and we would see this maybe in the case of like um, we expect justice from the government to be done. But we as individuals don't necessarily have the power to bring it about necessarily, right? Yeah. Uh, but we can say that justice can be done by the courts or by the authorities, whatever, because they have the power to to bring it about, the ability to. Right. And I, I think, yes, I think one thing that we don't talk about enough is that the Bible is really clear that if you have stolen from someone, don't just say you're sorry. Pay it back. Yeah. That that anything that you can do to make it right, do that. Yeah. Don't. It, it, it doesn't. Um, I think we over-spiritualize forgiveness by saying, well, I ask God for forgiveness. Like, we'll do everything that you can to make it right to yeah. that person as well. I mean, that's that's in there. Mm. And uh, in, in our sort of over-spiritualization, I think it's too easy to forget that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. So the, the last one here uh, of these cardinal virtues uh, is fortitude. And he, he kind of defines it as uh, sort of facing the challenge. I think yeah. it's a pretty pretty simple kind of way of defining fortitude uh of all of these virtues I, you know they're all so important i think this one probably for for men resonates the most uh, it does for me uh, when i think of fortitude i think of you know someone like you know john wayne or uh or bruce willis or you know someone obviously the movies the that they that they act in and, and the characters they portray uh you see a sense of fortitude of resilience of facing challenges not backing down from them um but being up to them even at times when it seems like you have no chance uh but but a great sense of fortitude says regardless i'm gonna i'm gonna face this challenge anyway right uh and fortitude comes in all shapes and sizes as well um i think you see a great deal of fortitude in the case of single parents yeah uh who say whatever the case may be i'm gonna do everything I have to do. I'm going to work two jobs if I have to. I'm going to, uh, you know, do whatever I have to do to provide for these children that are mine. For whatever the case may be that, that brought me into this situation, I'm going to rise to the challenge. I'm going to um, to do what needs to be done, uh, whatever I have to do. Yep. Fortitude is a very, very admirable quality, very admirable virtue, I think. Yeah, and definitely another one in the category. We know we need it. Yeah. Uh, we, we know you, yeah. You, you don't get along without it. Yeah. Um, and... And so I, he, he says in here, and I, I'm thankful that this is still, I think, very true, that an appropriate modern translation is guts. Uh, you got to have that inner wherewithal to, to push yourself. And um, it is easy to want to go towards a sort of, you know, well, uh, you keep on doing this, this work, this manual labor, but the, the things that you were saying are so true that you wake up every morning, you change the diapers, you take the kids to mm -hmm. school, um, that, that there are ways that we need to push ourselves that are, uh, I, I feel like we, if we're not careful, um, we can miss out on that. Sometimes we can just get so discouraged by the mundane that you go another one like, to, uh, does this even matter? Yes, it does. Yeah. Don't don't, I mean, what, is, what does the Bible say? Don't become weary in doing good. Yeah. Because uh, we can. We can become weary in oh, yeah. it. Um, but this is so powerful because he says one of the strange things about fortitude, courage is the form of the virtue at every point. Without enough courage to say this is what justice is and I'll stand for it, you won't stand for justice. Without enough guts to say this is the right length here. Mm -hmm. No more jokes. That's enough, everybody. Yeah. Without without some guts, none of these other virtues happen. Yeah. Because you don't have the ability to draw that line and go, this is unwise and I'm not doing it. Yeah. This is a this is a good list of virtues for us to consider, especially as Christians, and say, look, like just practically, practically, if you're a Christian and you're saying, man, I'm just struggling with life, I'm struggling on on knowing how to live well in the world. Um, the, the Bible is obviously the place where we go and say, here's you know, what we need for all things pertaining mm -hmm. to life and godliness. Uh, but, you know, I think another helpful place to, to point and say, look, you haven't, are you in trouble, like, living as a Christian in the world? Are you having trouble holding down a job? Are you having trouble, um, you know, doing what you need to be doing? Well, 
try and grow in these areas, right. these areas of fortitude and justice, temperance, prudence. You know, how are you doing in these areas and where you're lacking? Grow there. Try and work in that way right. uh, to, to grow those those virtues. And I think it will benefit you. Uh, it will benefit uh, all who exercise these virtues. Right. And I'm reminded of the book of James where if, if anybody lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding yeah. fault and it will be given to him. That if, Listen, if we rattled off this list and you're kind of going, oh, please stop talking about it. Look, I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. in these moments is when you, you say to God in prayer, I need more of this. Mm-hmm. Because that this is what we are lacking. We have so many excuses, but what we need is, is life and vibrancy. And these are some of the forms that it comes in us mm-hmm. and what life looks like. We have to have the guts to push ourselves. Right. Um, because it's beyond. This is one little note that he has in this chapter. He says, I'm not just asking for a an act, a one temperate act. I'm not just asking for one just act. He says, what we're talking about is being the kind of person that these sort of qualities live in you. He said, you, you, we all know what it is to be on a tennis court or a baseball field and some guy gets a lucky shot. Yeah. So that's not what I'm after. I want a good player, somebody who can be counted on to consistently make the shots. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. The consistency aspect of that is the key because there are, even though the worst among among us, right, uh, can have moments of uh, getting one of these right. Right. Uh, but that's not our goal. It's not, hey, do you remember that time I was temperate? Right. Uh, no, that's not, that, okay, great, good for you in that one time, but like, how are you practicing temperance? How are you practicing these things? Uh, that's a That's a biblical kind of, turn a phrase as well. Those who make a practice of yep. these things. Um, that is the point, not yeah. just exercising prudence, justice, fortitude, uh, one time right. or every now and then, but making it a habit. Yeah. Well, we have a little, uh, a bit of an addendum here in chapter three. And I, I thought this was just a, a great chapter because for anyone who thinks that all there is to sort of a Christian society would be love your neighbor as yourself, he kind of points to some really powerful principles that, um, that not only are challenging and helpful to think about for now, but give us hints as to what our real future will be. Um, but not just hints, uh, they, are, they are hints that kind of point us ahead, but they also really challenge us and say, what in the world will this be like? And so uh, I, I lined out five of these. This chapter is called Social Morality. And he says the New Testament, without going into details, gives us a pretty clear hint of what a fully Christian society would be like. And uh, these, are, these are just five points. I think you could search and, and find some other things that are pointed at. Um, but here's number one. Uh, one, there are to be no passengers or parasites. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Mm-hmm. Labor will be the first pillar. Are you telling me labor isn't a product of the fall, Jackson? It's not, actually. It <laughs> That's right. God put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. He get, put him in there and he gave him a job to do. Right. And, and look, you know, if you have hated your job, I mean, I grew up being scared to death. I'd never find a job that I liked, was good at, didn't hate <laughs> on a daily basis that good news for you is there is labor that your heart will be in that you will enjoy and you in fact will be producing for all eternity it'll just be something that you feel right in producing you feel good and that does matter right it's i think it's no coincidence that one of the highest downloaded podcasts uh, of this podcast was before my time was when you was it was you and matt uh, wasn't it the the work burnout burnout. podcast Mm -hmm. yeah i mean it's no no surprise there and i think it speaks to this that uh, we sometimes have a I don't know, bad understanding of, of work. And so, uh, work is something that will be, um, I think around forever. We were Mm -hmm. created and intended to work. Uh, Unfortunately, work became difficult after the fall. Uh, man uh, works by the sweat of his brow now and, uh, and these kinds of things, but, um, it is still the good and right perspective and what we ultimately, what I think is the Christian perspective that if you do not work, then you do not deserve to eat. Yep. Right. Yep. All right, what's two? Everyone, is that one word? Every one. It, it, used, to be, it used to be two words, as you see. And every one <laughs> is to work with his own hands. And what is more, everyone's work is to produce something good. No silly luxuries and sillier ads to buy them. Uh, yeah, and so I think this, um, 
man, what does this mean? When, especially when we think about the idea that uh, everyone will work by his own hands. For those people who have like great uh, portfolios and really don't have to work at all, like um, they just let their money work for them. Have you heard that phrase? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Will, will that be a thing uh, in a Christian society? I don't think so. Um, it seems to be the principle here is you ought to make useful things. Mm-hmm. You ought to make things for which you don't need an excuse as to why you made it. Mm-hmm. That, that it's obviously useful and helpful. Are you saying there will be no modern art in this kind of society? <laughs> I, I think not. I think if, not if, also. If I know what you mean by modern art. Yeah. I, you you know, know what I mean. No toilets stuck on the side of uh, an art gallery going like, look, it's art. Exactly. Okay? Exactly. But it looks to me like a regular toilet. Oh, you, mm, but it's on the you wall. fool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, number three, no swank or side, he says. No putting on of airs, no showing off or boasting. So, no NBA basketball. Is that what you're saying? I think there will be uh, NBA basketball in some form, but maybe Uh, not. No WWE wrestling. Oh, man. You're hitting some of our friends where they hurt. (laughs) Uh, But I I would think by the time that we would get to the kingdom of heaven, wrestling will finally become real. Oh, Oh, man. Got him. Got him. Did you hear that, Jason? Did you hear that? Oh, man. What's number four? Uh, Number four, always insisting on obedience. People uh, to God and governing authorities, children to parents, wives to husbands, etc. And he he makes the point. This last one, wives to husbands, probably especially abrasive to some people. But uh, but to always insist on obedience in all of these uh, uh, these areas. Man, obedience is a word we don't like very much either. Mm-hmm. Uh, obedience, um, submission, which I think is just uh, essentially a, a, almost a synonym of obedience, right? Not exactly, but. Um, yeah, these are not words that we like, and yet in a Christian society is what's demanded and what's expected, what's called for on all people, right? It's not right. just it's not just the women here. You better be submitting all the time. It's it's all of us that we are submit to submit one to another. Yeah. And chiefly, each and every one of us is to submit to God. Right. Yeah. Right. I think of that principle of subsidiarity that uh, the governance that is best happening is that it happens at the lowest level so that... Uh, my kids, I know my kids and I love my kids. Therefore, I should generally be the one to watch out for them and to, to govern them yeah. because I know what they're like usually. Mm-hmm. I, I, I used to be amazed at how certain parents would, would be sitting there on the couch and then all of a sudden they go, okay, you've gotten tired, haven't you? You know. <laughs> and then when you become a parent, you recognize when your kid has run out yeah. of energy and yeah. run out of themselves <laughs> that it's like, all right, you're done. You need to go and lay down because this guy I've got right here, he's empty. Yep. This is what you look yep. like when you're on empty. You are a zombie. You're still moving, <laughs> but uh, your tank is empty. Yeah. Yep. Uh, that, that's a funny thing. And yeah, I've seen that for sure. For sure. All right. Finally, the fifth thing, a cheerful society. Uh, full of singing and rejoicing and regarding worry and anxiety is wrong. Mm. You know, I, I, Pastor Dave used to say a lot. I don't know if he still says it, but uh, to, for those of you who, you know, are in here in church, those of you Christians who don't like singing, man, you're really going to hate heaven <laughs> because we're going to be doing a lot of singing, a lot of rejoicing. Right. I always thought that was kind of a funny, uh, uh, funny word, funny um, thing that he always said. But yeah, it, that, it, that sounds, I think, to us weird, doesn't it? That we're going to live in a society that is full of singing and rejoicing, um, and yet that's going to be beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be amazing, right? And, right? and we think it sounds weird, but then it, when you go to say you've gone to like a concert, right? And this is I'm talking Christian or otherwise. Uh, we we think it sounds weird to live in a society where people are just singing and rejoicing all the time. Um, well, yeah, it would be weird maybe in our context as we live right now, but. Just place yourself in the context where these you're in a in a at a concert, surrounded by people that are full of joy, that are um, excited to be here with this band singing this song, and everyone's singing, right? right? And it's not weird; it's not that uncommon, right? Uh, well, in a similar way, take that kind of sensation and realize that we will be in, you know, when we are. Is he talking about in heaven? I mean, he's saying that uh, right now. This these are elements of the society we should be working towards yeah. as much as we can yeah. knowing that it'll be perfected later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there there will come a day when when that will be commonplace and right. and we will be in the 
um, one day we will be forever in the presence of God and and be completely satisfied and and enraptured in joy. And so um, it, it seems weird for us at times to think that yeah, we as Christians go to a place every every week and sometimes more than once a week and we sing songs together, uh, right? That's a, kind of a weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. And yet, for those of you who are Christians and who do this, you know that it might sound weird to other people, but for us, it is joy filled and it is. Right. Uh, it is life giving and it's it's great, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and for for many of us, there's not hardly a, a greater highlight to our week than than those moments when we're worshiping together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're singing praises to uh, to the God of the universe. Like there's it doesn't get much better than that. I know yeah. for me, you know, we had we had worship yesterday. Today's Monday, and uh, so just the time that we spent. We had Sunday evening. We had a a thing last night uh, where we got to sing some more, and mm-hmm. I just love those times of singing songs together, worshiping God together. I agree. And it's, it is a wonderful thing to have given your life to something that you believe is worth giving your life to, uh, that, that, that decision has been made and you know what you're about. Mm-hmm. And uh, that being the God of the universe who is worthy of your praise, that, that, that then you, believe that your heart is being brought to life as you do say you're right I don't I'm not right I don't have to be right you can be right and I I want to belong to you and then to to see how there is life that comes into your own heart and into your relationships it is the opposite of some of the things we were talking about early on in this discussion about how what do we do in this world where everything is so broken mm-hmm. well praise God that there is life being given it's available uh, you have to go to the source for it. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to happen by accident, but there is a source that's available to you. That's right. That's right. Amen. All right. Well, we have completed here, Mere Christianity Part 4. You got anything else, Den? I don't have anything else to add other than, we didn't say this at the beginning, but, man, we look like a couple dapper dance sitting here. They're haircuts. We do. We look sharp. I Y'all can't you, see yeah. us. Uh, my mom always said I had a face for radio, so <laughs> that's that's where I'm at, I guess. That's why we do a podcast. But I think we look great, Jackson. <laughs> I agree. Nice haircut. Hopefully one day you all will get to see us. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure <laughs> none of you have seen us ever before. <laughs> all right. This has been Empires of the Future. And we'll see you in the future. <laughs>